This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Uh, I would say this is a book about me and my friend Terry and how we live in a 13-storey treehouse with a bowling alley and a tank full of sharks and a marshmallow machine that follows us around and fires marshmallows into our mouth whenever we're hungry. And it's about how we have to write a book uh, for our publisher, Mr Big Nose, who is a very angry man and gets very upset if he doesn't get his book written. And um, this is what the book's going to be about, how we how we write the book. But unfortunately, Terry is very unreliable. And instead of writing the book, I, I find him painting a cat yellow. And and I say, what are you doing? He says, I'm painting a cat yellow to turn it into a catenary. And I say, don't be silly. That's not how you make canaries. And he says, yes, it is. And he throws the, the uh, cat out the window and it flies. And I go, wow, that's amazing. And then our neighbour, Jill, who we love very much, comes over and says, have you seen my cat? And that's where our dramas start. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. Today's guest is global sensation and fan favorite, Andy Griffiths. He's here to talk about the Treehouse series and the special full-color collector's edition of the first book, The 13-Story Treehouse. Andy Griffiths is the New York Times bestselling author of The Day My Butt Went Psycho, Zombie Butts from Uranus, and Butt Wars, The Final Conflict as well as the Treehouse series and Killer Koalas from Outer Space. In 2007, he became the first Australian author to win six Children's Choice Awards in one year for Just Shocking. He is passionate about inspiring a love of books in his young readers and works as an ambassador for the Indigenous Literacy Project, which provides books and literacy resources to remote Indigenous communities around Australia. Andy is a big fan of Dr. Seuss and of Cauliflower. He lives in Melbourne, Australia, and is Australia's most popular children's writer. While you prepare to start giggling, here's the synopsis for The 13-Story Treehouse. New York Times bestselling author Andy Griffiths invites readers to come hang out with him and his friend Terry Denton in their 13-story treehouse filled with Andy and Terry's signature slapstick humor. Andy and Terry live in a treehouse, but it's not just any old treehouse. It's the most amazing treehouse in the world. This treehouse has 13 stories, a bowling alley, a see-through swimming pool, a secret underground laboratory, and a marshmallow machine that follows you around and automatically shoots marshmallows into your mouth whenever you're hungry. 
life would be perfect for Andy and Terry if it wasn't for the fact that they have to write their next book, which is almost impossible because there are just so many distractions, including 13 flying cats, giant bananas, mermaids, sea monsters pretending to be mermaids, enormous gorillas, and dangerous burp gas bubblegum bubbles. You do not want to miss the fun of the 13-story treehouse. Hi, Andy. I am so thrilled to have you here today to talk about the full color special collector's edition of the 13-story treehouse. So welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. All three of my kids have read your series, which is rare because my kids all have really different reading tastes, but all three of them have read your books and it's inspired so many treehouse designs and artwork around here. <laughs> I, do you get a lot of fan mail with uh, treehouse designs? I certainly do. The uh, readers keep me well supplied with uh, with pictures and lists of levels that they would like. And um, I also get a few complaints from parents who say that they're getting pressure to build a treehouse in their backyard. Um, <laughs> but I say, that's no pressure, just, you know, learn to build a treehouse. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, before we talk about the 13-story treehouse and other books in the series, I, I would love to spend a little bit of time getting to know you. I heard that as a teenager, you managed the or inspiring feat of getting a lot of chewing gum wrappers into a jar. So I'm curious how many are in there and what inspired you to do this? And do you still have the jar? I um, <laughs> There's a lot of questions there. This could be the whole interview. Um, I still do have the jar, much to my wife's amusement. And I guess I was always a collector. I was always collecting anything. It didn't matter what it was, but if you have a lot of them, it, it turns into a collection. So I think at one point I was uh, I was enjoying my chewing gum and just keeping the wrappers. And um, uh, yeah, that's my, my testament to my teenage chewing gum years. But I, I actually had a shoebox underneath my bed that I would take apart a clock or a, a radio if it broke. I'd take it all apart and I'd put all the pieces in a shoebox and eventually it grew to two shoeboxes and um, now I have what I call my junk jars, which are all the little bits and pieces, things that come out of a Christmas bonbon that most people would regard as not very important. I have many large stewing jars full of this stuff because it delights me to see it, but it also connects me back to my childhood. Uh, very powerfully. So um, when I have a whole room now that's full of nonsense that I've collected over many, many years, uh, but that tunes me back into the uh, kid or the teenager that I was, gives me that feeling of unlimited freedom and excitement. And, uh, and then I can just kind of write naturally from that point. Well, I also read that besides being an award-winning and best-selling author, you've worked as a high school teacher been the lead singer in a rock band, and as a stand-up comedian. How would you say that these experiences have shaped who you are as a person and also as a writer? 
I suppose all three, um, although they sound like they might be disparate, they all involve playing to an audience and uh, observing what the audience needs and then figuring out how to give it to them in a, in a powerful and entertaining way. Um, so, yes, the, um, the, the rock band grew out of my love of music and my love of writing lyrics, and I ended up as the front man, but I couldn't sing. Uh, well, I could, I could make a noise coming out of my mouth, but it was not <laughs> singing. So I had to counter by jumping around crazily and, and putting on a big show. Had a lot of fun with that, but I realised uh, ultimately that my uh, my talent, or my my real gift, was for for writing. So I stopped the uh, the bands and started taking writing courses and really honing my skills. At the same time as doing a um, diploma of education, uh, learning how to teach high school students, and I ended up in front of high school students who were telling me that reading is boring. Uh, only losers go to the library, and I was like, "You guys have got it so wrong." And I started writing stuff for them, just as I used to write stuff in school for my friends to make them laugh and to um, to pass the time in maths class. And so they started getting the idea that writing was fun. It's it's a kind of wild playground that and whatever you can think up goes, and uh, and you can write it down and make your friends laugh or or horrify them or <laughs> make them go ugh. Um, <laughs> I would I would always say, look, I don't really care what reaction it is, as long as you're getting a reaction. Writing is communication. Yeah, so, absolutely. Uh, that's how those all came together. I'm going to read a quote from a profile that was done on you in the New York Times, and I hope I pronounce her name right. It was it was done by Clarissa Sabag Mont Montefiore, and she, I, I'm sure I've said that wrong. So sorry, Clarissa. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Okay, good. It, she said. Australian-born Mr. Griffiths has never lost that wacky, offbeat edge and ability to push the boundaries of good taste that defines his work. So I'd like to know your thoughts on what it takes to push the boundaries of good taste. I love the way she wrote that, especially regarding writing for kids. I feel like, you know, sometimes when people get into that comedic space, the boundaries they push are often cannot you know not done in good taste but but yours is just fun-hearted so so what are your thoughts on that pushing the boundaries of good taste um i think i've always been attracted to the the weird and the the strange and the wonderful and the oddball kind of humor that's just a a built-in you know feature of me uh, it was a bit of a to my chagrin when i started writing i was seriously i tried to start writing serious stories but there'd always be this little voice this energy that would come through the pen and derail my best efforts and turn my stories into parodies and um, and silliness and i was like oh maybe i'm a comedy writer after uh, <laughs> maybe i'm not raymond carver after all i'm a, I'm, a, I'm the class clown but at the same time I I could be the class clown, but I was also a parent and also a, um, a a teacher, and so I had kind of three hats. An Australian-born uh, 
great writer Tim Winton described this as writing in a triangle so that you are at one corner of that triangle. So you're writing for yourself. You have to be engaged in what you're doing. Uh, you're writing to your audience, which in this case, the primary audience is the children. So you know what by by observation of children and by observation of myself, I know what I liked and I know what makes them laugh or groan. But you also have a third audience at the top of the triangle, which is the gatekeepers, uh, the parents, the teachers, the librarians, the podcasters, um, mm -hmm. who are, are the ones who get the, your books to the children. Sometimes the kids will buy them themselves, but you still need adults there. And so you've got to include that third audience who may not be quite as keen on the gross-out um, side of things um, or don't get the, the weird lateral humour quite as readily as children. So you're writing for three audiences, which makes, I think, writing for kids slightly more complex than writing as an adult you write an if you're a thriller writer you write for the adults who like write reading thrillers that's all you have to worry about but so i have to modify what i send to the kids to go through the gatekeepers so that they are not completely turned off by what i'm doing and i'll give you an example uh i did write a very provocative book called the day my butt went psycho <laughs> Uh, just to, just because it was a funny idea, but also because teachers were very nervous of me at that stage. This is 2001. And I said, look, let's just all relax. It doesn't matter if you say the word but or we have some silly jokes about it. And so I wrote a book that would be in everyone's face. But I didn't use the word fart once in that book. Okay, once at the very last page I used it. And this was because I did a test reading and when you were using that word uh, or the word poo just freak, frequently and freely, it wasn't as funny as if you implied it. So you said, you know, when a, when a butt talks, it's, um, you've got to block your nose because it smells pretty bad. Now, you haven't said fart, but you've implied it. And the audience will laugh much harder and more readily. So, And it also makes it easier for the adult to read to the child because then you're both you know, it's it's slightly more sophisticated humour. So that's that's my uh, that's how I go close to the edge without falling off. Without falling off. I love it. That's genius, actually. This is a question I typically ask everyone. And to be a writer, they say, they say you need to be a reader first. So was there a pivotal moment in which you considered yourself a reader? Um, I can go back and see I was absolutely galvanised by a book called Struvel Peter, uh, a German children's cautionary tales book written in the 1850s by um, a man called Heinrich Hoffmann. And they were horrendous tales of uh, cautionary tales of what would happen to these kids if they didn't obey their parents. Uh, they were done in rhyme. They had lurid, uh, colourful pictures. And the kids would often either by disregarding their parents' instructions not to play with matches or not to suck their thumbs. They would either suffer dismemberment, um, they'd be maimed, or they would die at the end of each story. <laughs> and 
it was like so over the top. You know, the boy who didn't, who wouldn't stop sucking his thumbs, had he's a man with long red legs and big pair of scissors come in and cut the thumbs off. <laughs> and even as a five year old, I went, that's a little over the top, but isn't it funny? Uh, it's horrifying and funny in the same image. So I was kind of scared and fascinated by the book uh, whenever I'd go and visit my grandmother. And I do credit that book for my love of reading because you never knew what was going to happen when you turned that page. You know, anything could happen. And then my mother read me Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. I literally have a member, memory of being on a picnic rug uh, while we were on holiday with in a garden while she read me this book. So, you know, I had some pretty great early reading experiences. I never considered myself, you know, I didn't go around, I'm a reader. I was just always reading. And American horror comics got me through my early, my late tens and my early teens. I was just enamoured of them. So I was reading anything and everything. I know that you're really passionate about inspiring a love of books in young readers and that you work as an ambassador for the Indigenous Literacy Project, which provides books and literacy resources to remote Indigenous communities around Australia. I would love if you could tell us just a little bit about that work of being an ambassador. Uh, in that this particular organisation, um, there's small communities, hundreds of them dotted in the outback of Australia where people are living on the traditional lands. And there, there might be a school, but the libraries were very under-resourced for various, the, the distances are huge out there. So their literacy rates were low. And the organisation organises books at cost, or, or but completely free to the communities to be in the there so that they can have books to actually learn to read with. And as part of the early work of that organisation, I would travel around with a small group of people and uh, do workshops with the kids. And I quickly found that my stories were very city-based. They they involved cars and buildings and, and just ways of being that are not the same out in um these remote, remote places. And I quickly discovered the kids had the stories that were entertaining me. Uh, they would say, sometimes we get flooded and we have to go and live on top of a mountain for three weeks. And I was going, well, how do, how do you eat? And they said, oh, they drop food in on helicopters. And, and you know, we, in, in our house, we had a flood and there was, there was a snake a snake um, floating around the lounge, the living room. And I said, well, what do you do? And they went, well, you get a broom and you get it out. Duh. Um, <laughs> and I go, can you write this down for me? Because this is like extraordinary. Another group of kids, uh, some of the boys got into trouble because they were swinging out on a rope over a river to see how high the crocodile who lived in this river would jump as it tried to bite them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, now this is better than anything I can make up. So can you make me up a little book? And I do these tiny 12-page books, three strips of paper folded in the middle with a staple in the, in the spine. And I'd say just draw 12 pictures and 12 short sentences. No matter how uh, rudimentary your writing skills or drawing skills are, it doesn't matter. Any kid can can tell you a sequence of 
pictures and it tells a story. So this was my, this is what I did for many years, traveling around remote communities. It works the same in, uh, in non-remote communities too. I would just give kids a blank 12-page book and say, fill it up with anything that you can think of. And they quickly discover that they have material and that they can affect and amuse their friends. And um, that's where writing starts for me. So, yeah, that's how that all happens. It must also just feel good to be able to share your passions while also giving back to communities. So I I love that you're able to do that. Yeah, and we know that literacy underlies so much of someone's life and and what the opportunities in that life can be, even at just at a health level, being able to read the, the label on a bottle of medicine can make an enormous difference to your longevity and, and, and health while, while you're alive, as well as employment opportunities and just being able to deal with the world around you. And that's even if you're in a remote community, you still have to negotiate with the uh, with the wider community. So yeah, it's been very successful and now operates in in over 200 communities, including uh, what they call the book buzz, uh, gifting a set of classic picture books, some in the language of the communities, some in English, to every child who is born in a particular community so that they books are just part of the furniture as they grow up and we all need that to become proficient readers it's just books are part of our lives When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk specifically about the 13-story treehouse. So if a first-time reader was standing in front of you right now, how would you describe this story to them? Uh, I would say this is a book about me and my friend Terry and how we live in a 13-story treehouse with a bowling alley and a tank full of sharks and a marshmallow machine that follows us around and fires marshmallows into our mouth whenever we're hungry. It's about how we have to write a book uh, for our publisher, Mr Big Nose, who is a very angry man and gets very upset if he doesn't get his book written. And um, this is this is what the book's going to be about, how we, how we write the book. But unfortunately, Terry is very unreliable, and instead of writing the book, I, I find him painting a cat yellow and and I said what are you doing he says I'm painting a cat yellow to turn it into a catenary and I say don't be silly that's not how you make canaries and he says yes it is and he throws the the, uh, cat out the window and it flies and I go wow that's amazing and then our neighbor Jill who we love very much comes over and says have you seen my cat and that's where our dramas start 
because I didn't realise it was Jill's cat. And then we have a number of other dramas, uh, sea monkeys, a mermaid who turns into a, a sea monster who turns into a mermaid who tries to eat us, and a giant gorilla who tries to shake the tree down for giant bananas. And you can see it's very difficult to write a book under these circumstances. But then I would say to the kid, but you probably won't like it. It's probably too silly for you. So... <laughs> I love I love that. <laughs> so I you know like to me as some of our listeners are writers as well and I just think it's so genius that it's basically an entire story about procrastinating <laughs> or finding distractions to 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 not get that book done. <laughs> and I just like I really the writer in me really related to that and found it hilarious uh, yeah. I'm, I'm curious where did the specific idea for the 13 story treehouse even come from well i've uh terry and i have worked together now for 25 years i think it is he was the first illustrator assigned to my very first book and we just discovered we thought we loved the same kind of sense of anarchy he could draw what i could imagine uh what i imagined is what exactly what he loved to draw so at the point where we created this book we had done many many books together and we i'd done a book in australia called the bad book where everything was bad and then we did a sequel the very bad book bad children bad parents bad animals bad situations <laughs> And then I said, let's let's do the very, very bad book. And we went away to my parents' beach house where we would lock ourselves away for five to six days uh, on these writing binges. And I said, what do you got? And he said, I've got a picture of my finger. And I said, that's it? You've had a whole year and you've had a picture of your finger? And he said, oh, no, I've got a close-up of my finger. And I said, Okay, well, that's not a lot to make a book out of, but why don't we make a really bad book about not being able to write the book because, you know, you haven't come up with drawings and I haven't come up with words and we will literally waste the reader's time for the entire book telling them why we haven't written the book. Um, so that was the pure idea to begin with. And I said, we'll, we'll live in a treehouse because the kids, the kids in Australia at that point knew us very, very well and would often think that we lived together and that we clobbered each other over the head with grand pianos when we were upset with each other. So I said, well, let's make it a fake biography of our working life together. So that's that was the genesis of the idea. Ernest Hemingway once said that just when you have a writer's block to start with one one true thing, and then yeah. if you start with one true thing, then you know the rest can blossom from there. And that 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 feels true for this story is that your one true thing was you you didn't you weren't sure what to start writing about, so that's the true thing that you wrote about it, and, and the rest blossomed. Yeah, and the thing with Terry and I, the collaboration is total. That. Uh, he would draw a picture and then I would write some words and then those words would inspire more pictures and the, the more pictures inspire more words. So it's absolutely impossible to tell where where our contributions begin and end and um, that's what we were experimenting with at the same time. And he's, he's a little more lateral. Uh, I'll plan out stories at a certain point 
and have a beginning, a middle and an end and a logical sequence of events, even though they're illogical events. And he will be far more spontaneous and sort of free associative in his working methods. And the two just work beautifully because he'll go off track and then I'll have to somehow take what he's done and incorporate it into the structure of the story, which makes makes it seem really creative. But I'm just trying to fix the problem of him not attending to the story. <laughs> it, it, it all works so perfectly. And it's it really is just every page there's something to laugh about. I'm curious in terms of feedback that you get from kid readers. Have you noticed there's something specific, like a specific theme that they tend to find the funniest? They love it when me and Terry are fighting. In real life, we, we get along very well, and uh, this is rarely an argument. In fact, never. But in the books, if if Andy is berating Terry for something, and Terry's doing something silly, uh, that's funny in itself. But when Andy's standing there getting madder and madder because they should be doing the book, it becomes even funnier. So I think they enjoy the fact we fight, but we do make up in the end. They love obviously the the comedy of it, but they also comment on the adventure because the books are a hybrid. They're, they're comedy, adventure and fantasy all mixed in together, which maybe is why your kids, despite having different tastes, can all enjoy the book because there's sort of something for everyone along in, in that book. The comment that I love is sometimes they say, "Look, we love uh, we love the book, and uh, and we love Terry. It's, he's really funny. Can you make can you be a bit funnier, please?" <laughs> <laughs> you do realize I'm writing all these jokes, you know. But, you know it's classic comedy. It's a double act. It's uh, a straight man and the uh, the clown. What inspired me to want to reach out and talk to you about the 13-story treehouse, besides the fact that I love it and and so many other kids love it, is that it's getting the full color treatment and it's going to be the special edition. And I would love to know what excites you most about readers getting the chance to experience the treehouse in full color. Well, you know, it just looks so amazing because... Terry, all the books to this point have been in black and white, but Terry in in his other life is uh, is a great painter and a great colorist. So it always seemed sad that we were working in black and white, even though I say sad, but I really do think when you're reading a book, you're reading black marks on a page, which are the words and, and lines on a page, which are the drawings. And you as reader are pulling it all together in your head. You know, you're you're making the pictures in your head. And that's what makes reading so special, I think. You're directing your own particular version of the movie. But to see it in colour uh, just adds, It's I guess it's like watching a, a film in black and white or a, or a film in colour. Some of that 
the unexpected colours add, add a brightness and a vibrance to it, um, which is already there, but the colours make it inescapable, I guess. And um, and it's just beautiful to look at. So exciting. I love that you use the word vibrant because that's what I was thinking. Just the vibrancy and the energy that that color can bring. You know, I haven't seen the full color edition yet. So I am really right. looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be more colorful than you can imagine. So each book in the series goes up another 13 stories, which is clever. Will the rest of the series be getting the color treatment or is it just the first book is going to have the special edition? So to this point, it's just been the first book, but it's been extremely well received. And I believe there are plans afoot to uh, to do the rest of them. Up in Australia, we're up to the 156-storey treehouse now, and we're currently working on the 169-storey treehouse, which will be book 13 in the series, and the whole series works in 13s. So um, 169 will be the final book in the series because it just seemed logically illogically correct to start to stop at 13 books yeah so um i think uh now that we've we've almost finished uh producing the main series that's going to leave time and a great opportunity to come back and um, do color versions of all of the previous books yes. which the kids are still reading and still rereading um uh, over and over again which is i'm really proud of that aspect of the books that Terry's pictures provide so much, so much detail. You can you can find new details every time you read the book. Which actually brings me to a question. And a lot of parents, you, you hear them almost in a frustrated way say, oh, my kid is rereading this book for the, the 10th time. Why won't they read anything else? And I actually... I think it's so, so wonderful when kids come back and reread because they get more context. They they often learn more about themselves through the characters that they're reading and, and just in general, they're reading. So I'm yeah. curious what your thoughts are on just the idea of rereading the same book over and over. Yeah, uh, that is how uh, readers are created. Um, it's It's absolutely natural and it's wonderful yeah uh, I, sometimes i get the complaint my kids will only read your books they'll only read the treehouse books and i say that's fine that's called phase reading you go through a phase where you just want the same thing over and over and over again as you say you're building up your reading skills you're um you are immersed in a world that you love of reading so you're you're bonding with the whole idea of reading after a while you will move through that you know i had an english writer enid blighton i wouldn't read anything but her books for three years because she knew how to get the story started fast with a minimum of description and um and wonderful unpredictable things would happen but after a, a few years i was like uh, the characters are getting a bit samey now and that's where a good librarian or teacher or parent can put a, another book in your hand and say, try this one. And then you have built up the skills. You're ready for something more challenging. And that's that's what I think the kids are doing. Well, it's a side benefit. Um, as you say, reading, you get better at reading 
by reading and it doesn't matter whether it's the same book or multiple books. So if there was one thing that you would want listeners to take away from our chat today, what would you want that to be? Build your children a treehouse because <laughs> otherwise they'll be deprived for the rest. Of no, no, that's a joke. Provide lots of books for your child, whether that's regular trips to the library. Uh, I love going to, um, we call them opportunity shops here. I'm not sure what you call them. Uh, Goodwill. Just books that you buy for 10 cents, 20 cents each can be amazing, life-changing things. But yeah, have lots of books in the house. And, um, and if possible, let them see you reading those books uh, or reading a book because your example is very powerful for the child as well. And and I'm like, I'm very happy for kids to watch movies, play computer games, these are you know, watch TV. These are all potential sources of imagination and uh, and amazing wonder. But reading is a particular pleasure and a particular skill that absolutely belongs alongside those things. So you can just sort of look over benignly and go, you know, well, you've watched a lot of TV, time time for a book. It's it's not easy, but I think parents need to regulate those activities. Yes. And I feel like what you said too is when we as the adults model that reading, or even if you do have a reluctant reader and, and it is time to switch off the telly, as we say in Australia or TV yeah. here in the US, is that offer to sit beside them, even if you're reading individual books, just sitting side by side reading, you know, or reading one chapter aloud, it's, it can make such a difference. Yes. And that's where I think the Treehouse books, I've, I've kind of designed them just by having been a parent. I want something that I'm engaged with when I'm reading uh, with my child at bedtime. I don't want enormously long slabs of, you know, static description. I want stuff to happen. I want pictures that the the kids can point to and you can discuss and you can laugh about. So, yeah, I try to to not bog the uh, the adult down along with the reader. And it, it kind of it's a win-win for everyone that way. I have had lovely complaints. I was reading your your book with my child one chapter a night, but then they just started reading by themselves and they got way beyond me. <laughs> I love it. That's the sign of an excellent book when that happens. You know, yeah. I, I love yeah. it. Well, Andy, I am so grateful for you coming on the show today. As I said a couple times, I'm a huge fan of the 13 Story Treehouse. I'm really excited for this full color edition. It's already so energetic. So so I'm my mind is going to blow when I see the color pages. I know it. <laughs> Fantastic. I've been very lucky to work with Terry. He's a, he's an amazing artist. Well, thanks so much, Andy. Thank you very much. And uh, I'll see you in the treehouse. Um, we're, and uh, we're open 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 366 days a year. So there's no problem with the time difference. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Andy Griffiths and Terry Denton's The 13 Story Treehouse Special Collector's Edition. If you like this show, remember you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecast, Spotify, or anywhere else you enjoy listening. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, 
tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books, just like The 13-Story Treehouse, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.